ESPN Lafayette. ESPNLafayette.com and the ESPN Lafayette app. Great Scott! The Great Scott Show. And as they head into the final furlong, all of the other radio stations and radio hosts are left in the wake of a keen turn of speed by the Great Scott Show, the champion! With Scott Prather. Steal the show. Coach K, 42 years over at the hands of the arch-rival UNC Tar Heels. Welcome into the Great Scott Show on a Monday, everybody. I hope you all had a wonderful weekend. We got a packed show for you this morning. Cajun softball and baseballs, uh, they Won two of three in their series over the weekend. We'll visit with Coach Glasgow coming up at 7.15. Coach Matt Degg scheduled to join me at 8.15. The national championship tonight in New Orleans. Kansas versus UNC. It's not often the national championship game basically takes a a supporting role to the lead that is one of the semifinal games. I mean, how many how many folks do you know have even talked about the Kansas Villanova game Saturday? And when talking about tonight's natty, how many of them are just mentioning Duke, 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 Duke. Coach Mike Krzyzewski's career is over. And I got to tell you, for a guy that over the last 42 years, I'll give it to him, one of the best ever, to go out in the Final Four to North Carolina of all teams, the amount that was on the line, Now you're 50 and 50 all time against UNC if you're Coach K. The resume is still that of one of the greatest coaches in sports history. And every one of us that that hates on Duke would gladly take that record. Let's be honest. Unless maybe you're UNC. But everyone else. Because for UNC to have beaten him in his final game at Cameron Indoor and then ended his career in the final four so close to Duke giving their coach the storybook ending they so desperately wanted, needed, felt they deserved. we got to go out and earn it. 
And I get it. UNC and Duke, they're going to continue to play twice a year. They're going to be big games in the future. It will never feel anything like what it felt on Saturday night. I, I Look, I don't root for Duke. I have some close friends that do. They were pretty devastated Saturday night. But it tells you the power of a big rivalry in sports. If that was Duke playing St. Peter's, let's be real. Come on. Come on. It's not. It, it's, it, it was Duke playing Kentucky. Whether it be a Cinderella or a Blue Blood, nothing compared to what you had. The buildup to last night's game was palpable throughout the sports world. I'm sorry, Saturday night's game. Last night's game on the women's side was just a blowout. South Carolina completely handled UConn. Congrats to the Gamecocks on the natty on the women's side of things. But for them to basically just get the shovel and start digging the grave in the last game of Cameron Indoor, and then Coach K's like, oh, no, wait, nope. I have to build me a nice tomb when my career ends because it might need all the flowers and another national championship trophy. And then UNC's like, now we're just going to kick you down in here. Start putting the dirt on top. You talk about a humiliating way to end an iconic career. Losing twice to a ri- your arch rival who does not on paper really have as much talent as you. The great rivalries in sports have some balance to them and have soul-sucking defeats, no matter what. Now, some rivalries, you know, they're lopsided, but one side just has the big moment. Yankees-Red Sox rivalry. The Yankees have so much more, so many more skins on the wall. But the Red Sox came back from three down. Three games to none. Alabama has more national championships, but Auburn? The kick six. When it comes to Duke-UNC, it's not like that. It's not like Duke can say, oh, yeah, we'll we'll get this, 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 and this. No. No. UNC's got, what, one more national title all time. Coach K is 50 and 50 all time against them. It was so even over the years. And now, the way it ended in the final four? Incredible drama. What an atmosphere. And honestly, it it was a great game. 18 lead changes. Incredible shots down the stretch. Huge missed free throws by Mark Williams. I mean, that was that followed by the three-pointer for North Carolina when Love just goes over the top of the key, pulls up, boom. Buries the three-pointer. Once the lead was to four with 25 seconds left, nah. Nah. And now UNC has a chance to win a national title against Kansas, who is the least talked about team that's played in a national championship that also happens to be a blue blood, that also happens to just be dominating everybody. 
See, when Coach K announced that it would be his last season, saying he was doing it for the kids, saying he was doing it for the recruits, whether he wanted to or not, knock on wood, I think he wanted to, it was going to take all of the air out of the room. It was going to be the most talked about thing throughout the college basketball season, and it was. And it continued to be on Saturday night. Now, he's done. It's over. And you have tonight's national championship game, two Blue Bloods in the Superdome. I'm looking forward to it. But I'd be lying if I said it takes a front seat. You know how big a rivalry has to be? Think Yankees-Red Sox for a moment. I'm a Mets fan, okay? I don't like the Yankees. Red Sox, I'm kind of like, I don't I don't really have anything against them. I think their fans went from okay to sort of somewhat obnoxious, obnoxious over the years, but whatever. The point I'm getting as getting at is that rivalry is so big. You think back to Boston being down three games to one and coming back and beating the Yankees, and finally after the long drought, won a World Series. They've won again since then, but in that moment in what, 2004? What happened there was then the Red Sox went and beat the Cardinals and I I think it was a sweep. The World Series somehow, and it wasn't just a single game. You're talking about a best of seven series, right? But like that became secondary in 2004. It was just like, oh, yeah. Cardinals, you know, the Cardinals, they were in that, weren't they? How often this, like, this, this, the Super Bowl never takes a backseat to a conference championship game. And, you know, you build up the Super Bowl so much, even if the game's not good. You have two weeks between the games. There's enough buildup. I suppose, you know, I don't know. It might be more of a, a, a local view. I admit I could be jaded in it. In a in a bad way, the Rams Patriots Super Bowl was kind of overshadowed by the nefarious non-call two weeks prior. Certainly down here in Louisiana, but but even all over. I remember Goodell's you know state of the the, the league conference. All he got all he got asked about half the questions were just about that call. So that that, that kind of overshadowed what turned into a lousy game. But that wasn't a good thing for the league. Red Sox beat the Cardinals four games to nothing in the World Series, but it was the comeback versus the Yankees that was the memorable part of it. Duke-UNC. Now, had Duke won on Saturday, then it is, wow, they got one left. Can they do it for Coach K? They got past the arch rival. Now, only thing standing in their way. But then you feel like they definitely would have had it. It just would have been like, yeah. They got past the arch rival. Now it's time to just end this all with the cherry on top. But they lost in a great game. Shout out Hubert Davis and the Tar Heels. Coach K's last ride lurched to a halt. It's over. 42 years at that school. There are many of you listening that were not alive. Many of us who were not alive when Coach K first took over. 
I'm gonna miss him. I'm gonna I'm gonna miss him. Why was that game on TBS, by the way? How could you not put that on CBS? I, I don't I didn't even know. I'm sitting here on Friday talking about, oh yeah, CBS. You know, they they're loving the execs are loving it. I'm sure Turner Sports was loving the fact that they had that game. But how do you not get that on CBS? Come on. Come on. Nothing against T- TBS. Back in the day, Braves games and Saved by the Bell reruns starting five minutes after the hour at the bottom of the hour. But come on. ESP and Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. More on the Final Four. More on the National Championship. Saints finally signed a couple of guys. <gasps> Yawn. The NFL and the owners are now really going after Daniel Snyder and the Washington Commanders. More on that later. Cajun softball almost had the perfect week. Came up short yesterday. Won the series, though. That 68-in-a-row Sunbelt series. We'll talk to Ragey Cajun softball coach Jerry Glasgow when we come back. Coach Matt Deggs is scheduled to join me at 8.15. Got plenty to talk to him about. Don't go anywhere. The Great Scott Show on a Monday. Coming in hot. Right back after this on ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. The biggest names in sports are talking to you every day on the Rich Eisen Show with me, Rich Eisen. I know! Every weekday from noon to 3, right here on ESPN Lafayette, ESPNLafayette.com, and the ESPN Lafayette app. ESPN Lafayette. E to the S to the P to the N. The best ticket in sports. Welcome back into the Great Scott Show, ESPN Lafayette, 103.3 on the FM, 1420 on the AM, streaming worldwide via the ESPN Lafayette app. If you're listening to us via the stream, it's brought to you by Champagne's Market on the Oil Center. Champagne's going the extra mile. Joining us now, as he does each Monday during the season, Louisiana softball coach Jerry Glasgow. Um, coach, first off, good morning. I appreciate you waking up early. I know it was a, a long ride back from Stan Marcus yesterday, and secondly, I wish last week was reversed and you had, you know, uh, ended yesterday with the win at Austin. Because I know, I know sometimes when I talk to you on a Monday, it it's more what's kind of fresh in your mind as opposed to the week as a whole. But uh, but we're going to get into all of it, man. But but good morning. I appreciate you coming on the show. Good morning. Yeah, it's uh, it's hard to get, you know, past. You, you, as a coach, you have to live in the moment. You can't live in the past or you can't live in the future. You have to live in the moment. So <laughs> it's, it's a rough a rough time on Monday morning after the loss. But, you know, I guess you're right if you look at the week as a whole. Uh, but we can learn so much from yesterday's game. I think there's a, there's a, there's a month of teaching in that, in that two-and-a-half-hour game yesterday. So... I think it's good that you reflect on it and really analyze it. And really, I think it's important that game yesterday is important that we really look at what happened there. And, you know, it it could help us going down the stretch. Coach Jerry Glasgow, our guest, ESPN Lafayette. So what, in your mind from yesterday, is, I guess, the the biggest teaching moment of, of all of it? Well, you try to figure out the best combination to win games, and that's my that's my. You know, we we've been playing our best defense 
not necessarily our best offense. We've been trying to make our lineup based on defense, and it worked so good for a few games in a row. And and so then yesterday it backfired. We did, we didn't play good defense. We we had you know we had our defense out there, but we didn't play good defense, and then we couldn't score enough runs to win either. So it's kind of a tricky balance of you know, getting the right amount of defense, the right amount of offense. Um, and, and the game just didn't play well for us. Even, you know, we got the lead. You've got the lead for six outs to go. And it, 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 we just couldn't put it away. And then um, maybe maybe fatigue. Maybe, you know, as you think about it from a coach's standpoint, uh, it made it made we made it a long trip. You know, we left Wednesday morning. We drove eight hours. I was really proud of the girls to 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 get in the bus, drive all the way to Austin, and play right there, and get off the bus and play, and then and then fight all the way through and get an eight inning win. But I think on the back end, maybe a little bit of team fatigue and just wearing herself out had an impact on yesterday's game. The other thing, you know, is like your athletes have to understand, the program has to understand, team has to understand. Like, don't create you. You want to, it's stressful. A season's stressful. A college season's stressful. And I think our team as a whole, we haven't learned yet how to minimize the stress and how to minimize, just make things easy. And so... You know, we we can grow as a ball club when we start understanding to minimize our focus on the things that are really important. And I think that all all those things contributed to yesterday. ESPN Lafayette, best ticket in sports, Coach Jerry Glasgow, our guest. Um, you mentioned last Wednesday. I want to circle back to that, though, Coach, because the trip, getting off the bus, um, facing adversity <laughs> in the game, it felt to me, I know it was a non-conference game, but uh, the moments in the game, uh, you know, Megan Schwarman coming in, trailing for nothing, coming back, getting the offense you guys got, you know, Jordan Campbell had. I, I could point to a number of plays, right, or whether it be Falterman's diving catch. It felt like the biggest game of the season. Maybe I was a prisoner of the moment, and and maybe you haven't had as much time to sort of reflect on it because you had to turn around and face Texas State in three on the road. But did was Wednesday's game in your mind, at least to this point, the biggest win for you guys? Yeah, I think so. I think if you look at the season, you know the way we start out getting beat eight to nothing and nine to one by Alabama, and you know obviously just long way from being a top you know, being where you compete compete in the top 25 and then you go to the next games at LSU, 4 nothing, 5-2, I think. And then you go to Texas and you're 2-2 in the fifth and you lose 9-2 and you come back and you lose 3-2. If you look at those games, if you chart all those games, you see a little growth there. And then you go to, go to Texas and you, you know, you get down and you come back. Uh, I think we were down four nothing. We come back tied at four four, and then you win it in extra innings, six four on the road in their ballpark. But, you know, I think you, if you chart those five games, you're definitely seeing an upward trend, which is important, uh, really important. So, 
Yeah, I think in a lot of ways it was the most important win of the season. Um, and, and uh, you know, the important thing is we realize, like, we're still not anywhere near where we need to be. You know, if you look at the Texas game, I could point out, when you watch that game, there's several mistakes. <laughs> there's things we could have done better. Uh, there's at-bats that we could have had a better at-bat, that we could have extended the at-bat. We could have made the pitcher throw a few more pitches. Um there's things defensively we could have shifted just a little better. You know, sometimes if you're one step or two steps over, one or two steps in, those things make big differences at the end of the ball game. Um, so there's still, even though we we were able to get a win in Texas, it's it's nowhere near a, a peak performance game where you say, man, we can't play better than that. Um, and that's a good sign. That's not a. That's a good thing, um, but we're on a journey, and and we're nowhere near where we want to be at the end of the season. So, you, you know, it's important that we enjoy the win, and you see some satisfaction. But it's far more important that we grow and continue to look for ways to improve. The standard at at UL for softball, which you know has been set many many years ago, and for the most part has been sustained is uh fair or not coach right it's it sweeps in in conference play now on the other side of it you guys have won 68 conference series in a row uh that that dates back to you know before your time here but it's it's a streak you've kept going um it's very very impressive and yet you know i was i was talking to someone over the weekend that that doesn't follow softball closely and you know i was listening to the end of yesterday's game a little bit while i was out at russo park and following it and i had my earpiece and Someone's like, well, you know, it was someone that's relatively new in the media. They're like, well, I mean, they still won the series. And I'm like, I, I just, I promise you when I talk to Coach Glasgow tomorrow morning, there's, he's not going to be, he's not going to be celebrating, right? The, 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 the standard is that of, you know, you get into these series, you want to sweep. You, you don't want to just win two of three. It's, it's a standard that whether it's, it's fair or not, it's reality. Um, is that standard to you something that, is it is it stressful at times? Is it something that you know you just embrace? Is it is it is it is it annoying sometimes? Like where where in regards to the standard of UL softball and and what you expect of yourself and the team and the program, you feel like at times it can cloud success a little bit because sixty eight Sun Belt series and a win is impressive, and yet I know you know when we opened up the conversation you're. You're still thinking about, you know, the, the, the lead changes late in the game yesterday and the back and forth and that you weren't able to finish off the week four, no. Yeah, you know, the, the 68-game streak, the 68-game conference streak or 68 series, whatever it is, yeah. it's, it's like a minor, minor thing to me. It's like, it's like a... It's a neat thing that reflects great. Um, it reflects greatly on your program. It's a it's a program thing. It's kind of like when you walk in the stadium and you see six World Series, you know, in the wall, and that's that's pretty cool. You know, when you think about a Texas A and M been to World Series four times, or uh, a University of Georgia has been to World Series five times, and UL has been to the World Series six times. That's a neat standard, and that. That win streak is a really neat thing, and it's ongoing. It's current. 
you know, it's been the longest in the nation for two years now. So, but but that that doesn't like it's not something that I, I worry about every day. Worry what I worry about is, you know, getting in the NCAA tournament. That's that's your number one goal as a team is getting that NCAA tournament. And you want to keep be able to when you go into a conference tournament, you'd love to know you're going to be in that large bid. <clears throat> and and you know a win yesterday with a sweep over Texas State, you know that that's a big thing when you go to the committee in May. If you could have hung a sweep up there for the committee to look at, like, hey, this is a good Texas, this is a Texas State team that beat Arizona State. This is a Texas State team that that went to the wire with Arizona. You know, this is a Texas State team that played Texas really, really well, and they went in their stadium and swept them three games in a row. Those are things you can really hang your hat on in the, in the selection committee. That gives you assurance that you don't have to win that conference tournament, but so that's the things I worry about. Like I, I want to, I wanted to get the sweep. Once we got, especially once we got off to a good start, and you beat Texas. You want to go in there and get the sweep. And then when you look back at the game, there's just so many, there were just so many defensive plays that you know. I'm not talking about the errors. I'm talking about where we were out of position, where we weren't thinking ahead. There were so many little things, there were so many at bats that we give away. Offensive at bats that, you know, we we could have done so much more with them. And those are the things that really uh, frustrate you as a coach because the the eight, I mean, you're not, the committee has said, oh, they won 70 conference series in a row, we're going to put them in the NCAA tournament. That ain't going to happen. Mm-hmm. But when you get wins and you dominate, and you dominate on the road, especially. That's signs that you know are important to a ball club. So, yeah, it's a you know it, it's a great thing for our fans. It's a great thing for recruiting, but it's not something you coach by. Jerry Glasgow, Rage Cajun softball coach, our guest. I'm Scott Prather, ESPN Lafayette. It's the Great Scott Show, Coach. And we talked last week. You told us that. You guys had recently gotten back uh, an MRI on Kendra Lamb that was positive. Uh, we talked a little bit about maybe what your pitching plans will be moving forward. I think she pitched two innings this past week. What is what is her status? How is she feeling? And um, and then the follow up to that is just what's your overall thoughts on the, on the current status of the pitching staff? Uh, are you saying Kendra Lamb? Kendra Lamb, correct. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, she she had discomfort. That's what we were right before the Texas game. She was supposed to start that game. That was another really good thing the kids did that night. Um, you know, she was supposed to start, and uh, after she started warming up, she started having some pain and uh, wasn't able to go. So, you know, we hurriedly rushed Landry in to get her warmed up, and. And then you know, Schwarman ended up picking her, picking Landry up, and and really having a great game for us. So that was all good. And and then um, you know, we started uh, Kendra in game two, but again, uh, Justin felt like that her mechanics were affected by the health situation. So it's, I think you just say it's day to day. I don't think that. I don't think uh, Coach Justin thinks it's a, a major thing. I think he thinks it's something we can work through. But it's uh, day-to-day would be the best way I could describe it. 
And at this point, you lean more obviously on Sam Landry and, and Megan Schwarman. And you know, we've talked about this coach, but um, it, it seems like Schwarman just for whatever reason plays really good when she comes in in relief. For those of us that aren't, you know, that don't have the knowledge of softball that that you do, what is the biggest difference? You know, beyond just what we see on the surface. What's the biggest difference between starting and coming in in relief that the common fan or observer wouldn't know when it comes to pitching at a high level in D1 softball? Well, I, I think that the difference is more mental. Uh, if, if a pitcher, uh, like some pitchers are just good when they know the teams need them to carry them. You know, they want to put the team on their back. And I think that's what Shoreman has done when the pressure's, you know, you're down four runs or your your team's in a bind. You're up one run. Seems like she excels in the pressure. You watch her when the bases are loaded. She she has been very good against Texas. Or and she's gotten key, key outs and, and big moments. And I think she just likes to, to have the team and put them on her back is what I think. This week, you guys head to Lake Charles. You got a Wednesday game against McNeese, and then it is uh, back in the friendly confines of uh, Yvette Gerard Field at Lamson Park against Troy this upcoming weekend, Coach. Um, looking ahead to what you have before the, I guess, the spring break road trip, what what specific area of this team do you want to see the most improvement on coming up here this week against McNeese and then the three games late against Troy? You know, I don't think it's one area. I think we want to improve every in every area. I, I, I think our offense can can improve so much and be more consistent. And then defensively, yes, the even the series was it just wasn't a, a great defensive effort. Um, and I, I think our pitching, <laughs> you know, it was really good the first weekend of the season, the first tournament, and then it it's kind of been up and down, but I think we're seeing some really, really good improvement now that we're kind of understanding how to use Megan. Uh, we need to get Tandra back, and then I'm, I'm elated with the growth of Sam Landry. I think, I think she's coming on and, and you know really giving us quality starts uh, in the conference games, and uh, I, I think there's good signs there. But we we. Defensively and offensively, I feel like we can grow enormously. Um, and then, you know, our pitching can get better. Um, and then just management, you know, just uh, uh, I felt like it was, a, it was a bad coaching day yesterday. You know, we just, we were day late and a dollar short on moves that we could have made. Maybe fatigue on the coaching staff um, and distractions outside the game, you know, that we can, we can just improve in a lot of ways. And that's what we have to do. That's what, that's the hope is that you can make a lot of improvement from April the 3rd till or April 4th until, you know, May. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think we, I think today we, we, our ball club is revealing itself to us. And I think that, you know, we'll continue to improve. It's just, there's got to be a sense of urgency here this week and next week are huge weeks for us. When you look at what we have, 
a midweek with McNeese. You've got a midweek with Southeastern Louisiana. Those are both top 60 RBI teams, I think, last week. And then, you know, Illinois is a, is one of those top 45, maybe top 52 in RPI last week. So we got some great opportunity. You've got Troy and South Isle. So you got really good RPI games here coming up in the next uh, two weeks. And so there's urgency to to finding ourselves now. Coach Jerry Glasgow has been our guest, Louisiana Region Cajun Softball, coming off of their series in road trip in uh, Texas and then the series against Texas State. Coach joins us every Monday right here at 715, uh, no matter what. We always appreciate you taking the time, Coach. All the best. We'll, uh, we'll be following this week, uh, Louisiana versus McNeese Wednesday, 6.30 first pitch in Lake Charles, and then this weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday series against Troy at 6.2 and noon, pregame 15 minutes prior right here on ESPN Lafayette from Learfield. All the best, Coach. Thanks so much, and I appreciate you waking up with us every Monday. Thank you. All the best. That is Coach Jerry Glasgow. Telling it like it is. Don't go anywhere. When we come back, more examples of what it's like to get to a championship in a sport and it becomes the backstory to something that took place just prior. Saints moves. Yawn. Get into that. The NFL looks like the other owners are just done with Dan Snyder. They might be coming for him. I'll tell you about that as well. We got Coach Matt Deggs at 8.15. Tonight's Natty between Kansas and UNC. Plenty more on Coach K's funeral. It's all coming your way. Phone lines are open next as well at 337-269-1077. It's the Great Scott Show. We're right back right after this. You, my friend. I'm glad I did this test on you, the friendship test. What? You got the best seat in the house. ESPN Lafayette. ESPNLafayette.com and the ESPN Lafayette app. are now open 337-269-1077 UNC Kansas tonight from the uh, from excuse me from the Caesars Superdome I'll be there I was not there this weekend 
And, you know, tonight, try to think of what it would take in tonight's game to not just be secondary. To not be what's supposed to be a culmination, but will clearly take a back seat to what unfolded Saturday. I mean, first of all, Kansas-Villanova, you wouldn't even know they played on Saturday the way that the, the media coverage was of it. Wasn't a good game. Kansas steamrolled them. It was the early game. Duke-UNC was a classic. It was Coach Gay's last game ever where he lost to his arch rival, and his career came to an end. We were talking earlier in the show about, I was talking anyway, about the some of the biggest moments in sports when it, when it comes to the power of a rivalry. Like, it's not a local rivalry. Duke UNC is, it's not like, you know, there's, there's just tons of alumni of those two schools down here in South Louisiana. There's some out there, but let's be real. And yeah, there's a whole lot of fans, a lot of people rooting, a lot of people watching Saturday night. There are not a lot of people down here in South Louisiana that grew up in New York or Boston or the Northeast. But there's some Yankees and Red Sox fans. A national rivalry attracts fans from everywhere. Now, I... I don't care a ton about the Yankees or the Red Sox. I don't really root for the Yankees. I don't own any North Carolina gear, but I root against Duke. I'm going to miss Coach K. That was fun on Saturday. But when you have the stakes as high as they were and the fact that UNC can always hold it over Coach K's head of, well, you know, you didn't have a winning record against us in your illustrious 42 years, and we gave you an L in your last game of Karen Indoor, and we gave you an L in the Final Four, and, uh, yeah, we got that forever. And Duke fans can turn right around and point to the resume and say, look, he's the best ever, and it's fine. But UNC will always have that little edge. Now, that, that rivalry, again, it's much closer. See, a lot of rivalries, teams are, are they're, they're a lot more similar than the fans on each side care to admit. Right? Yeah, Duke, UNC will continue to play each other. They're going to be big games. But nothing's going to be like it was on Saturday night. How can Duke come back from the thrashing Carolina just dealt? I mean, they kick Coach K into retirement. Are the two sides closer than the other ones to admit? Yeah, they are. Yankees have a whole lot more skins on the wall than the Red Sox, but the Red Sox always have. Well, hey, we were down 0-3. We came back. Back when we hadn't won a title and. Many, 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 many years. Alabama's got more banners than Auburn, but Auburn's got the kick six. See, Duke UNC is closer in hoops than those are in baseball and football, but when you have an all-time classic like you had on Saturday, it takes the spotlight away from the big game. 
How many people remember the Red Sox sweeping the Cardinals in 2004 in the World Series? It was almost an afterthought. It was the World Series. Tonight is the national championship. Kansas, a blue blood who has steamrolled just about every team they've played in the tournament, they're barely being talked about. And this game tonight, it's going to live in the shadow of what happened Saturday. Now, if Duke had won tonight's game, you know, the case, the coach K Wright continues because it was really all about him and it has been throughout the season. One of our listeners, Peyton, pointed out, you know, it was a long time ago. Heck, almost, almost before Coach K was the coach of Duke. That's how long ago this was. Almost. But the miracle on ice. U.S. didn't beat Russia in the gold medal game. It was Finland they beat, right? I'm sorry, the USSR. They beat Finland there, but the miracle on ice, that's what you remember. Now, Carolina wins it all. Are folks years from now going to remember their win over Kansas? Like, it would take one of the greatest championship games ever to step out from the shadow of Saturday's game. You're ta- we're talking like triple overtime, big shot after big shot. It will have to be a championship game for the ages to step out of the shadows because Coach K's shadow is as big as it gets. And it has been lurking over all of college basketball all season long. Now, his shadow's gone. It's not. I mean, it's still it's still there. It's still lurking over tonight's game. People are still going to be talking about it. You're going to see some Duke fans at tonight's game because it's the Final Four. You get tickets to both, and oh my God, we've got to stay here and watch Carolina. No, I guess you just stick around and you root against your rival. But the difference is, if Coach K's not retiring, you stick around and you root for UNC, but there's, there's, there's just such a finality. To Coach K's Caribbean over, the Duke fans, I don't even know if they can pull themselves to just get in the dome tonight and root really, really hard against their arch rival. I mean, I'm sure they want to, but the finality of it all. College basketball. And again, how, how's that game on Saturday? How's that not on CBS? With respect to TBS. Where, you know, when I was young, it was reruns of Happy Days and they put everything at five after the hour or five after the bottom of the hour. And eventually, that's where Saved by the Bell and Syndication became the massive hit that it was. And where a lot of Braves fans were born. I like TBS, but Duke UNC in the Final Four, Coach Gay's last game, I mean, that, come on, put that on CBS. Coach K's farewell tour came to a sudden close. Two wins shy of the ultimate goal. The same Tar Heels that beat Duke by 20 in Coach K's final home game somehow made a loss even more excruciating than that one for Duke. And Coach K wasn't in tears. Shook Hubert David's hand. Walked off with his wife. Had some things to say after the game, which we'll get into a little bit in the next segment. 
And that's all she wrote. And then many of you, you know, that follow wrestling switched over and watched a 57-year-old wrestle a 19-minute match. Shout out Stone Cold. Stone Cold put a beat down. It was impressive. No, I'm not going to get into a big wrestling thing, but I just, you know. I mean, it's Stone Cold. Give me a hell yeah. I said give me a hell yeah. Last night wasn't a stunner on the women's side of things. South Carolina, too much length, handled UConn, handled them in the natty. That was Gino Oriema's first loss in a national championship game. That dude is a G. I mean, even in a loss, you pull up a stat and you're like, wow. A big loss. They lost by, what, 15? Destiny Henderson finished with 26. South Carolina was just too much. Too much. And now tonight, Kansas, UNC. Over the weekend, the Pelicans split a pair in L.A., and boy, they couldn't have been more different. Friday night, speaking of just ending seasons, the Lakers resting LeBron and A.D. to have them come back and play two games against the Pelicans in the last two weeks in hopes that they could get those important wins, and they bring them back in. Nope, didn't work. Pels put them down on Friday night in a win that felt like two wins because you separate yourself by two games. You sweep the season series. And if the Lakers pick falls in the top 10, it belongs to the Pelicans. So the worse they do, the better it is for the Pels. And then last night, as good as the Pelicans have been playing, they got absolutely shellacked by the Clippers, who they might have to go play again. Bells are a game a game away of, of, of clinching a playing spot. They'll be there. Now, they're only a game up at the Spurs, so they have work to do to make sure that they host that game. But if they win the first playing game, they're going to take on the loser of T-Wolves Clippers and the way Minnesota's playing. In fact, they'll be hosting that game. There is a strong chance that the Pelicans will be back in, I can't call it the Staples Center anymore, whatever it's called. I don't even know what it's called. Where the Clippers and Lakers play. The Pelicans will be back there. And possibly a, a little over a week, a week and a half, with a chance to win a single game to get into the real playoffs where you're, you're doing more than one and done or playing. You are in a playoff series. And if the Pelicans and Clippers end up in a winner-take-all game for the eighth seed, how, like... Willie Green's done great this year, but why aren't you putting Jose Alvarado in over over Devontae Graham? I don't get it. Alvarado and Larry Nance, if you're in the playoffs, that's that's those are the first guys I think you're bringing off the bench, at least in the backcourt. And then what do you do after that? I mean, you go on an eight- or nine-man rotation. You're not going to go super deep. Yeah. Yeah. You got work to do. You need to go win in Sacramento. You need to make sure, if you're the Pelicans, that you're hosting that play-in game. 
against what's likely going to be the Spurs because the Lakers, they're, they're toast. They're toast. LeBron's going to play two more games, so he gets 58 on the season. He's going to try to score as much points as possible in both of those games. So despite the fact that the Lakers won't even be in the postseason this year, even the play-in, he'll have a scoring title, one of the things that's not on his resume. That's what he's doing. He'll probably come back against OKC and try to drop 40. That's what he's going to do. That's what he's going to do. ESPN Lafayette. The best ticket in sports. 337-269-1077. Phone lines are open. Let's head to the phone lines. Good morning. Welcome into the Great Scott Show. Hey, Scott. What's happening? Hey. Not too much. Hey, not to get too much in the wrestling, but, man, <clears throat> there was three loudest reactions that happened throughout WrestleMania. Uh, one was Stone Cold. The other one was Cody Rose. But, you know, how about Pat McAfee? Former punter putting on a show. Putting on a show. Like, out of all people that play, like, sports, that dude was born to do what he, you know, to be in that kind of entertainment. Well, he's all about showmanship, and um, that's such a part of wrestling, right? And so, you know. He had, like, that dude had the crowd eating out the palm of his hand, you know. And like, then, they, and then, they just and went then, nuts and then for Stone everything. Cold came out again, and they all went crazy again. And then Pat and took then, yeah. another stunner, a really good one. And what was, <laughs> what was messed up is like they had this old decrepit man beat him up. You know, it's all about entertainment, man. No, Pat I, McAfee. I, I know, it's I why it's you. why his show is great, man. You know, um, pun, and pun, he took a punters are, too, man. punters are wrestlers too, right? No, right. Pat Pat McAfee is an incredible entertainer, man. I. I got Did all the respect in the he, word for, world for him. Uh, just one more thing. When, when he took that stunner and he rolled out the ring, oh, yeah. he just laid on the ground drinking that beer. Yeah. <laughs> I was laughing. I didn't watch 12 hours of wrestling this week, and I just I watched, jeez, um, two match, three matches? I, I, I mean, I watched the, the, the two Stone Cold things because I had to. Yeah. It was Stone Cold. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then yeah. I saw yeah. Seth and Cody, and I saw the main event last night, and that was it. I didn't, I didn't watch it all, but when, when, once I found out Stone Cold was there, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to make some time in my schedule to make sure I watch this. For sure. Yeah, dude, that was awesome. All right, man, thank you. Thank you. If you don't get it, well, you don't get it. 57 years old, two bad knees going out there, putting it on. But no, Pat McAfee, what a performer. When we come back, how were those ratings for Duke UNC? I thought it was going to be the most watched college basketball game ever, at least in a semifinal of a Final Four. Where does it rank all time for college basketball telecast on cable television? We'll tell you next. Saints make a few moves that were, eh, eh. Rage Cajun Baseball. Haven't gotten into it yet. We will get into it plenty as Louisiana head coach Matt Deggs is scheduled to join me at 8.15. Don't go anywhere. This is the Great Scott Show on ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports.
The best games, the best fans, the best on the bayou. The best? ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. Give me a hell yeah! I said give me a hell yeah! Great Scott! The Great Scott Show. And as they head into the final furlong, all of the other radio stations and radio hosts are left in the wake of a keen turn of speed by the Great Scott Show, the champion! With Scott Prather. Steal the show. Welcome into the Great Scott Show. Very happy to have you with us on a Monday morning after a weekend that was whew, busy, loaded. We talked Cajun softball with Jerry Glasgow. We've talked a lot about Coach K's career ending. We've talked a lot about the Final Four, tonight's national championship game. We've hit a little bit on the Pelicans, talked a little stone cold. We'll talk Cajun baseball with Coach Matt Deggs coming up at 8.15. UNC Duke, I thought, first of all, I, I thought the game was going to be on CBS. Shame on me for not knowing. Should have been on CBS. The UNC Duke game, though, delivered an average of 16.3 million viewers. Now, based on total audience delivery, it's projected to be the second most viewed college basketball telecast in the history of cable television. Once you include out-of-home viewership. On the streaming side, I don't know. It's hard to know. Because how does each, you know, how many viewers can be counted for each stream? How does that compare to past data? It's, it's like, here's the thing about ratings, TV, radio, whatever. It is far from an exact science. I could go on for a long time about it, but far. There are a lot of flaws in how they do it. But at the end of the day, you know, network stations, whatever, they just throw stuff out there, tout it. But I was wrong. You told me, okay, it's it's even even if I knew it would be on TBSL, it'd be the most watched game on cable television, right? Certainly for a semifinal. National TV ratings don't include out of home viewing. So the most viewed one, the most viewed college basketball broadcast ever on cable television was Wisconsin in the Final Four beating undefeated Kentucky. That was seven years ago. Coach Cal's crew went down. In that one, 22.6 million. Far more than Duke UNC. Even where we're at seven years later with streaming and everything else happening... I got to be honest, I'm surprised that the number isn't higher. They're going to say, oh, second most watched, second most watched. I'm surprised it's not higher. 
Now, it was the most watched national semifinal game on any network since 2017. North Carolina, Oregon previously having that number. And that was broadcast on CBS that year. So, impressive that it beat that, but I thought it'd be more. It's one of the biggest college basketball games ever. I don't know. I don't know how tonight's game can get out of the shadow of it. I don't. Saints over the weekend, by the way, haven't gotten into this. On Saturday, signed P.J. Williams to another one-year deal and defensive tackle Jaleel Johnson. Somebody said, you think the Saints are done? I'm like, describe done. If you think the Saints are going to sign a free agent at this point, even though there's a few big names left out there, that's going to be a notable name. You're, you're, they're not. They're not. I was having the discussion with what, Gus go on Friday. You think they could sign the Honey Badger? I'm like, mm, probably not. It'll probably end up being P.J. Williams on a one-year deal because the guy, for whatever reason, just doesn't have much of a market. And P.J., I think, I think people have come around on him. He's, you don't, don't put him in man coverage. He's really bad man coverage. But in the other areas, he's good, and he can play multiple positions, and it's a one-year deal, and you desperately need whatever you can get right now considering your two starting safeties from a year ago who were also second and third on the team and total snaps played are gone. Jaleel Johnson, he was, you know, let's let's not act like that was some big signing. He was on the Saints practice squad last year before the Texans signed him off of it. Now he's back in New Orleans on a one-year deal. They're beefing up the D-line. But most of you, when you found out, oh, the Saints signed, well, you knew who P.J. Williams was, but Saints fans tried to Google Jaleel Johnson. Wait, who? That's where they're going, this free agency, guys. It's going to be a lot of, from this point on, Googling, who's this player? Who's this guy? They're not going to make some giant splash despite the fact that they're in the putrid NFC and the awful NFC South. They are pretty much what you have here. Now, there are some rumors out there. Hey, maybe you could trade for Brandon Cooks. That would be funny for a number of reasons. I wouldn't be opposed to it for a number of reasons, but we can get more into that later on. Up next, I want to talk Cajun baseball because they won two out of three over the weekend. But, man, that loss on Saturday was absolutely gut-wrenching. Good bounce back yesterday. You got to love C.J. Willis. How do you not root for someone like that? Jeff Wilson was solid. Cajuns take two or three from Georgia Southern. Now they get ready for a, um, a long week on the road. Two at La Tech this week, then up in Jonesboro against Arkansas State. lot to get into. Head coach Matt Deggs joins me next right here on ESPN Lafayette. The best ticket in sports. talk that's so legit, it smells like beer and chicken wings. I mean, can't you smell it? I'm smelling barbecue, too. ESPN Lafayette, ESPNLafayette.com, and the ESPN Lafayette app. You, my friend. I'm glad I did this test on you, the friendship test. What? You got the best seat in the house. ESPN Lafayette, ESPNLafayette.com, and the ESPN Lafayette app.
Welcome back into the Great Scott Show. Rhyming and stealing. Coach Matt Deggs joins us now, Louisiana Raging Cajun baseball coach. The Cajuns coming off a, a victorious weekend on the diamond, taking two of three from Georgia Southern. We'll get a little bit into uh, each one, but as always, Coach, uh, good morning. Happy Monday. Hey, Scotty. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. Um, can't complain, man. Let's let's dig in, man. Let's talk a little baseball here and, and kind of look back at the weekend um, from Friday up until, you know, yesterday in the 5-1 win. Uh, Friday night, what what pleased you the most? What moment in the game were you, I guess, most satisfied with when all was said and done? Well, probably just the way we were able to to answer back and respond and and score three late and and uh, you know find a way to get that first one. We've been pretty good on Fridays and uh, you know find a way to 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 win that ball game. I thought Tally got us off to a great start and the bullpen came in and and uh you know did what they've been doing and and i uh, thought we had a great approach off of off of a, a tough righty man that he likes to bury that fastball inside and we came out and executed you know first pitch of the game and uh that that you know the way Marshock let us off kind of jump started the whole weekend yeah answering back that's something you guys have been having to do a lot lately coach whether it be within a game or or whether it be like you know from saturday to sunday yeah, I mean, if you, you trace back last six, seven games, there's always a moment. There's that pivotal moment where, you know, are you going to do something about it? Or are you going to lay down and, and, you know, fortunate for us and, and the character of our team and that how much they love to compete. I mean, they, they've answered back just about every single time. And not just with one, it was like yesterday, you know, we answered back with three and uh, then able to build off of that a little bit. And, and uh, you know, that's kind of been our theme. And, you look, I think we play one more game and we're halfway through and, and, uh, you know, it's, we're, we're kind of grinding out, you know, game above 500, 500, but you look and, and you go, dang, man, they got a 48 RPI and they've got the number eight, uh, strength of schedule in the nation. And we've got 20 something new guys that are figuring out this level. And for me, I see us trending upward. ESPN Lafayette, Coach Matt Deggs, our guest. Um, Coach, on Saturday, you know, you and I have talked often, and you said it before, right? The the losses stick with you more than the wins. Um, I, I, we could talk about Washington on Sunday, but that um, there there there's different ways to lose. And Saturday, that was one that I'm sure for you, uh, it was it was probably not easy to go to bed on Saturday night. Well, it was. Uh... It didn't hurt me as much as, uh, you know, it probably hurt a lot of other people because I saw some things in the game uh, that were still, they they far outweighed, you know, there was, there was about four moments that were kind of slight of hand that you would have to really be paying attention. Other than that, it was good baseball. And uh, that we lost that game in the fourth inning on Saturday. Uh, we'd come out. Pound for pound, that's one of the better pitchers we've seen. He had really good back and forth. He's like a left-handed Jeff Wilson, right? So you you can't really settle in. So we said, well, look, let's let's use our legs, and uh, we come out with a great game plan. And and I think we go bunt, bunt, bunt. Even Rocco tries a double squeeze, uh, and we're executing our game plan to perfection, getting to the fourth. Uh, and I think. Uh, 
Kemp reaches, uh, somebody else reaches, Bayon, perfect, uh, you know, drag bunt down the line, bases are drunk now, nobody. That is the takedown moment, okay? That's when everything is in your crosshairs, and you got to take the shot. And uh, we roll over, uh, you know, we, we, we got to have a better bat right there, man, with no outs. Roll over to third and uh, come away basically with a sack fly. And in our business, sack flies are known as rally killers. There's no team in the country that won't trade a sack fly. I mean, for, you know, in, in lieu of a double. Uh, they're just rally killers, you know, and, and they have their, their purpose and their spot. But that was a momentum swing rally killing any. And uh, when you have a, a, a buffalo like that surrounded, you've got to go on and take him to the ground. And, and, and then there's some aggressive plays we've got to make uh, in the ninth. Okay, it's fine that Brown leads off with a single, can't hit the next guy that they bring in to pinch hit, just a bunt. We, uh, we hit them with a breaking ball. So then we run a, a, what's known as a will play. It's a, it's a quasi will. It's kind of half a will play. So I give us a safety valve and uh, leave Rocco back at first, but we're crashing third and uh, they bunt it right back to us and we don't throw the third. That was a possible double play right there. Then they come back first pitch squeeze. Okay. They got me. I didn't think they were going to squeeze first pitch. Well, we can't fly in out of control. We've got to, we've got to understand the game. Now we're in damage damage control is what you call it, just taken out. But we leave our feet, get tangled up with the first baseman. Now we've created something for them. So we'll go to the mound. We go pitch out, pitch out off their best bunner, kind of scare them out of squeezing. We're able to get the left-on-left matchup, got two dead, get the ground ball, but it's their best athlete, and we don't come get it. So and, and in between there on those pitch outs, they were kind of half squeezing. It was a little bit of a safety on the first pitch and the guy's dead at third. I guess the moral of the story is you got to play to win. You can't play not to lose. And we're still on the cusp of, of learning those things, but we're trending upwards. We're getting closer and closer. Schultz, you know, he gave you eight innings. How, how unbelievable performance. So was there a moment in the eighth where you considered taking him out, whether it be a, a left no, matchup some, or no, I wanted him to finish the game, but you know, and you can you can go back to the the two run jack by Ledford. You know, they go two runs, two runs. But at that juncture, if you look at his stuff, who's better? Who are you going to bring in? Yeah, I mean, it's it. He's still one of your top options at that point, and and he's in the fray. Uh, that was his game, but there was a couple other little elements, and he was red faced. I, I, I wish, you know, I've been riding Chip pretty hard. Uh, he's, you know, done a great job here lately, and uh, you know, hindsight being twenty twenty, I, I just don't know that it would have been a great move to run him back out. But I almost wish I would have. But that's hindsight, man. Uh, we just got to make aggressive plays there tonight. That game's there for us. If you go back and look, so you got the eighth against Arkansas. Well, now eighth. You know, Arkansas is rolling now. They're two in the country. Uh, we've got a lead in eighth. We get generous. Game taken from us against Southern Miss. Okay, we're going to win that series on Sunday. And then we, you know, and then you drop games with a lead like Saturday 
You've got Saturday against South. Uh, we've got a three-run lead against Troy on Saturday late. I mean, we're right there. To, I mean, I'm not talking about a 48 RPI. I'm talking about like a 15 or 16 RPI. And so we're going to head into this this downhill stretch, this back half of the season, with pretty good numbers on our side. Uh, when you look at it from a, a, a postseason type uh, resume, okay, we're 48 with an eight strength of schedule. Let's go get hot here coming down the stretch. Let's let's parlay this thing into something. Well, uh, getting hot, you know, you guys have won um, four of your last five, including yesterday, Coach, and um, 5-1 win. We've talked about, you know, you're starting pitching Friday and Saturday. Jeff Wilson yesterday, uh, El Jefe, I asked him afterwards, when did you get that nickname? He's like, I don't even remember. I was like, do you like it? He's like, sure, why not? <laughs> but, you know. Who you wouldn't t- like El Jefe? I mean, he, he, he kind of seemed indifferent about it, Coach. I'm just, he, he you've told I me. I think he downplayed it. He downplayed what, it. What, what, but that's like his personality, right? You say that he downplays a lot. He doesn't like that kind of attention. But, oh, but he's he, awesome. He deserves this some praise awesome. for that game yesterday. He was, he was great. He's a, he's a humble warrior, man. He's got, there's a fire burning in that belly. CJ Will, uh, I, I say this a lot. CJ Willis is impossible not to root for. Uh, you call his number. He's a pinch hitter. Uh, he does so many things, sort of little things when no one's watching, as you like to say. I asked him about that yesterday. I was like, what do you mean specifically? And he said, you know, I, he, he gave some details, right? From everything to always trying to pick up your teammates to making sure everybody's on schedule to how can I make a difference when I'm not playing in the little things? He said he attributes that to, you know, his parents and, and the coaches he's yep. had in his life. So when a guy like that has success, two doubles, a triple that came off the barrel at like 108, um, it's it's just hard not to be happy for for a young man like that. And and I, you know, he was he was terrific yesterday. I mean, he's he's a guy that. I think he does get shine here in that I think a lot of people recognize that he does a lot of little things right. I think a lot of people do get excited for him when he has those moments. But when you're a utility guy, you never know when that number is going to be called. And so just the mental part of just always staying ready and doing everything you can, Willis is a guy, like I said, I mean, how can you not root for him? Regardless of what team you root for, it's impossible not to root for a guy like C.J. Willis. Oh, man. He's he's so much fun. I mean, and it's nonstop. And I always say, CJ, you were the kid at the slumber party that stayed up all night and just pissed off the parents. You know, it's like you're not going to get asked back. And it, but it's that type of fun, and it's just always a smile. And you know, he's an organizer. He's one heck of a party planner. Just that's just in his nature, right? He makes sure that we do in our duties. He's got helmets and bats ready, you know, for the guys on deck. I mean, you know how uncommon that is? That guy came from LSU. (laughs) Like, he has zero entitlement or uh, expectation about his own personal uh, glory or gain. It's, It's, he's just one of the guys, man. And he happens to be pretty good at baseball. You just got to find that, those moments where it's bottled up in there. He's like the Dos Equis commercial, you know. He doesn't always hit doubles, but when he does, they, <laughs> he hits a lot of them, man. And uh, I think he's the school record holder for doubles in a game. and uh, It's in there, but his value is so much more than baseball. What Could you 
divulge that a little bit? I mean, we hear about the little things, but if he's not on the team, uh, from a non-on-field standpoint, what are you what are you missing if C.J. Willis isn't in the clubhouse? Oh, it would be devastating for me personally because I love him. I look forward to seeing him every day. Uh, he's just one of the guys, man. And uh, I couldn't imagine our team without him. I can tell you that. I don't. I think I speak for everybody. Uh, he's just one of the guys, and uh, he's he's my go-to for a lot of stuff that people will never see. Coach Matt Deggs, our guest. I'm Scott Prather, ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. Coach, you guys um, released a statement last week that uh, Bo Bonds wasn't going to be available, a uh, violation of team rules. Um, what what is his status? If you mind me asking, is it is it open ended right now? Where is where is he at? It's day to day, and uh, you know, there's been a, a reconciliation process, and uh, proud of the way that these young men have handled it, and and that's an internal matter. And uh, to answer your question, I do believe you'll see him again, and uh, you know, he's a fine young man, and uh, we've all fallen. It's a matter of if you're going to get up and do something about it. Sure, and uh, that's that's kind of where we're at. I I, I won't ask you specific uh details about it i i have questions i guess in terms of your perspective on team discipline as a head coach because you've you've written a book which i will read this summer coach um but you've you've also not just in a book you've always been sort of open about your journey and the second chances in life how does that i guess what is your own journey's impact on how you view discipline, second chances as a head coach when it comes to your team? Well, I'm open because I, I cheat the Lord if I'm not, right? He saved me for a reason, and I want to be able to help others. And I think sometimes that's misconstrued as leniency or, uh, you know, so-and-so can get away with – that's not the case, man. I'm uh, – I'm a tough love guy, and I tell him all the time, you know, every man deserves a second chance, but here's the deal, bud. doesn't mean that second chance comes where you made the mistake. Sometimes you got to start over. And I think each case is different, and, uh, you know, it's kind of like life. It'll always depend on, you know, kind of what you're bringing and where you're at. And, uh, you know, I think any, I think for me personally, and I'm going to go a little bit deep and I'm going to stop, I think the one question is, are you pliable? And, uh, you know, the Lord looks and he says, does he have a pliable heart? Meaning, is it flexible? Can it bounce back? Is it a tree that can sway or is it just stiff as an oak and it's going to break? And, uh, you know, I think we've got some of that to us on this ball club. And uh, I'll go to the ends of the earth for some guys. And, and uh, but also realize it's, it's not the... Uh, it's not the mistake. It's it's what you do about the mistake, and uh, that's the real test. You know, second chances are easy, but they're blown all the time. And uh, the test is what you're going to do with it. Coach Matt Deggs, our guest. Uh, my last question about it, Coach, and, and thank you for sharing that. As the head coach, do you, when it comes to to internal discipline, do you always have full autonomy? Does it as the head coach? Does it? I'm sure you you get perspective from your own staff, but ultimately. Does it always just come down to, as the head coach, look, it's it's my decision, and I, I, I take it case by case, and I'm the one that's going to make this decision, and I stand by it. 
uh, in a lot of instances, yes. But uh, as with any any business, uh, there will be certain instances that are just out of your control, and our guys are fully aware of that. Sure. Coach Matt Deggs, our guest, ESPN Lafayette. You, you win yesterday. You talked about after the game, just the bounce back. You didn't have a lot of time early game you, you, after Saturday's game, 5-1. Now you're on the road for a, a week away against um, two on, you know, tomorrow and Wednesday against a really good La Tech team in Ruston. Then you're open Jonesboro against Arkansas State. Uh, when you have a long road trip like this, Coach, do you look forward to, you know, having the whole week away as opposed to maybe just a weekend on the road or, or a single midweek game? Do you like the idea of, all right, we got a tight-knit crew, let's – Let's get on the road and let's let's ride this thing out for the next week. <laughs> That's an interesting question. I think that depends, Scotty, where you're at in, in your season of life, man. And uh, ask that to the coaches that have young kids. See yeah. what they say. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll ask Seth next time I talk. I'm sorry. I'll ask Coach they, Seth Thibodeau next time I talk to him. They may say they're ready to pack up and they'd be fine with a two-week uh, road trip. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if their wives would say that, though. <laughs> Correct. Well, we're married to, to rock stars, man. You don't get, you don't go this far in this business without that. I can promise you that. Nothing will kill a career faster than a, a relationship that's not loving and supportive, and we're all blessed with that. Sure. And that's really the backbone of this program. Uh, and they deal with everything. But uh, perspective for you, I mean, they're not looking forward to it, but the guys are right. The wives, you know, they're going to have their hands full and, uh, but the, the men are, and, and, uh, you know, we like being out on the road and, and we like that, that bonding and that, you know, just kind of that warrior mentality us against everybody. And so, yeah, we're looking forward to it. What, how much have you been able to, to scout LaTeX? I know one of these games was scheduled for, Earlier in the season, you, you played two here last year. Aragetti started both, but I know you know that program. Obviously, they've they've had some impressive wins this season. And as far as midweek opponents go, uh, getting them back to back nights that's that's going to be quite a challenge. Oh yeah, and you know Lane and I have been buddies for over twenty years, and and uh, a lot of mutual respect there. I know what they you, you know they're all about, and and uh, they play really good baseball. They they're they're good at. at just every phase of the game. And, uh, you know, a lot like uh, South Owl that, or Southern Mass, just they've had the taste here recently. And, and so it's not a matter of tasting or smelling anymore. They can see it. And so there's a lot of uh, motivation behind that every time you take the field. And then they're coming off a tough weekend against Southern Mass. Yeah. And, and it's going to be an important bounce back week for those guys. That, that's where I was going with it there. And then you got Arkansas State and, um, do you, do you do you ever talk to your team about the standings when it's regardless of where they are? Right, I get it if a team's you know, hey, look, they're they're one game up or we're right here. When it's a team that maybe is is not having a great season, they're struggling. Right, do you bring it up? Do you do you guard? Is it something that's just you don't have to worry about? Do you guard against it? What's your approach when it's an opponent that, hey, guys, don't be fooled by what's on paper. You just got to go out and play. Yeah, I think you have to, uh, you know, as we've been, I've been blessed. We won a lot of conference championships and, uh, it's never once do you really talk about standings. 
it's just it's a thirty game war, and there's there's, there's a lot of battles in there, and uh, you know it's uh, it's it's day to day and week to week, man. And and the name across the jersey that don't make a hill of beans at all. Uh, it's always the the game is always within yourself, and how well can you play the game of baseball? And uh, if you set out to win every series uh, on the road and sweep at home. Uh, you're going to be in good shape. And then, you know, sometimes you got to fall back a little bit and go, look, we just got to get a game on the road and, and find a way to win two out of three at home. Uh, that is a, a great formula, but you've got to have your sweeps mixed in uh, if you want to win the league. Uh, you know, w- what we've done this year is kind of start in reverse of how we did a year ago. Uh, but we've also had a very, very, uh, you know, we've played three tough teams. So, uh nine games in and then, you know, heading, heading, uh, kind of on the back half of the schedule overall, I feel like we're in good shape. Coach Matt Deggs has been our guest. My last question for you, coach, when you got a road trip, like the one coming up, what, what do you, what do you do on the bus? Right. Do you, I mean, are you, are you is, when you're not talking to coaches, when it's not about the job, when you have a moment to breathe, are you reading books? Are you watching something? What are you doing on these road trips when you're not sleeping or coaching? Well, very rarely am I sleeping. Uh, that's, you know, that's for the players. Sometimes you close your eyes. Uh, you, you relax a little bit, try to catch your breath, visit a little bit. Uh, take time to return, you know, messages or emails and, and uh, really kind of start looking at the opponent, uh, all of that type stuff. But, you know, you read a couple of books and uh, take note. Just It's a lot of catch-up time, man. Coach Matt Deggs has been our guest. Coach, I appreciate it as always. Always look forward to our chats on Mondays. Safe travels, and uh, we'll talk to you when you get back from Arkansas. Thanks, Scotty. All the best. That is Rage Occasion head baseball coach Matt Deggs. I'm Scott Prather. When we come back, open phone lines, 337-269-1077. One listener, Clay, pointed out to me something that UNC can do tonight that would match history that I hadn't thought about. We'll dig into that. Got a number of emails here as well we're going to get into. Keep it locked in. It's the Great Scott Show on a Monday. ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. What's up, Acadiana? This is Rich Eisen. Check out the Rich Eisen Show every weekday from noon to 3 and get your sports fix right here on ESPN Lafayette, ESPNLafayette.com, and the ESPN Lafayette app. He still hasn't given up his dream of becoming a member of the Beastie Boys. Mm, drop! Scott Prather on The Great Scott Show on ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. It does go well with a chicken.
me a hell yeah. I said, give me a hell yeah. Anybody got any Broken Skull American Lager? Going to have to enjoy some cold ones tonight during the national championship game. UNC versus Villanova. There's no way in my mind it's going to be able to get out of the shadow of what happened Saturday. I said UNC Villanova. Excuse me. UNC Kansas. The reason I had Villanova on my mind, though, is because one of our listeners, Clay, he and his brother are driving to Augusta to watch the practice round of the Masters. That's awesome. It is Masters week. No, I haven't forgotten. The Masters. After weeks of whispers, Tiger Woods says, uh, it's what, TBD, whether or not he'll play. Though he does have a news conference scheduled for tomorrow morning. But I'm, I'm getting off track here. See, UNC, every time they've won the Natty, has been a one seed. Every time. Look, they're a blue blood. When they won titles in 93 and 2005 and 2009 and 2017, and when they lost in 2016, they were number one seed. And so it's hard to, because of the name, It's hard to think of the number. It's North Carolina. Like UCLA last year was one of only five 11 seeds to ever reach the Final Four. But it felt very different than when George Mason did it in 06. Why? Because it's UCLA. It's a blue blood. And so I didn't even realize that North Carolina, if they beat Kansas tonight will be only the second number eight seed ever to win the national championship. Ever. Now, Butler got there in 2011 and lost to Connecticut in a, you know, an atrocious national championship game. God, it's tough for Butler. You get to the natty back-to-back years and you don't win it. You never know when you're going to get back. They might never. But, like, number one seeds have dominated the national championship. Since the field expanded to 24 teams, 23 of those, 23 times a number one seed won it, 13 times it was someone that wasn't a number one seed. The ones that weren't a number one seed that did win it, Number two seed, Louisville, 86. Number two seed, Duke, 91. Number two seed, Kentucky, 98. Number two seed, UConn in 04. Number two seed, Villanova in 2016. Number three seed, Michigan in 1989. When they beat a number three seed in Seton Hall. In 2003, Syracuse, a three seed. In 2006, Florida, a three seed. In 2011, UConn, a three seed. In 1997, Arizona, a four seed. In, in, in 88, Kansas, a six seed. In 2014, UConn, a seven seed, who beat an eight seed, by the way, in Kentucky. In 85, it was an eight seed in Villanova. Beat number one seed at Georgetown in a, a, a game 
that is unforgettable and viewed as one of the biggest upsets in a championship game of all time and in a night where Villanova shot an NCAA record 78.6% from the field. And that's what it took for them to win by two. It was an improbable win. Now, since then, Villanova has gone on. They've won two more in recent memory, and they have become really a blue blood. And But still to this day, the highest seed ever at number eight. UNC has a chance to do it tonight against a number one seed in Kansas, a blue blood. But if they do, it's UNC. <clears throat> if it was Loyola Chicago, heck, if it was even Butler, it'd feel a little different. When it's a blue blood with the long odds, yeah, yeah, it is what it is. But I hadn't even thought about that. Only one other eight seed has ever won it, and it's the, the, the highest seed to ever win it. And it was an improbable win. If UNC beats Kansas tonight, is it going to feel like some huge improbability? No. It's not. And even if they do lose, well, huh. they'll always have what happened on Saturday night. Putting an end to Coach K's career. That's a heck of a way to end it. Kansas, by the way, uh, minus four and a half. I think Duke was minus four. Took the money line with Carolina. You won yourself something nice. 820 tonight in a game that just kind of feels like the credits, you know, the little extra scene after the credits of a great movie. Now, maybe, maybe it turns into this classic that everybody, the whole sports world is talking about. Incredible performances, improbable shots, multiple overtimes. Does anyone think that's going to happen? I wouldn't bet on it. Kansas, for as much as they are a true blue blood, they only have three national titles ever. And one of them was in 1952. They did it again in 88. They did it again in 08. Mario Chalmers hits a huge shot. Memphis had that game in hand, gave up a late three, goes to OT. Kansas takes it. So tonight, as you watch Bill Self try to keep his toupee on and watch UNC Kansas, the shadow over it is still Coach K. Kansas is play. I mean, Kansas is rolling. Three just straight, completely dominating halves in the second half against Miami, and then both halves on Saturday against Villanova, you wouldn't even remember that there was another game on Saturday because that game was lousy, and the crowd was just waiting for UNC and Duke. Now, I've never been to a national championship game in college hoops. I'll be there tonight at the Caesar Superdome. I'm looking forward to taking it all in. But I know, atmosphere-wise, probably not going to be what it was like on Saturday night. That game delivered. That game delivered. Coach K really just stoic. Didn't really show much emotion as his career ended. Duke was just striving to give Coach K the ultimate retirement gift. And North Carolina said, nah, we're just going to go ahead and put some coal in that stocking. That's what we're going to do here. 
And yeah, there'll be future UNC Duke games. But they're not going to feel the same with Coach Gay gone. He's been the one constant over the last 42 years. Lastly, something that I've teased a couple of times but haven't gotten into today. The Washington Commanders. Daniel Snyder. One scandal after another. A single scandal of the same ilk for a player, they would be out of the league. No shot at getting back in. Multiple scandals against Dan Snyder. He's in ownership. He skates by. The team, even with the name change, is one of the most valuable franchises in the world, according to Forbes. Now, you know when... Other owners stop supporting you. It's when more and more things become public. And the more they become public, the more serious they get. And the more they're trying to force your hand to force you out. Donald Sterling wasn't just bought out and forced to sell the Clippers because he said some obscene, racist, and sexist things. No, that was just sort of the culmination of years of bad behavior and all the owners saying, look, we're sick and tired of this guy being in here. Let's get him out of here. According to USA Today, a congressional committee, you got Congress involved, received information that alleges the Washington commanders held back ticket revenue that was supposed to be shared with other NFL teams. Front Office Sports was the first to report it. All the details of the scheme are fuzzy at this point, but teams are required to pass along 40% of net ticket sales for each home game to the league. That pool of money is then dispersed to the visiting teams. How can you force an owner out? By proving that they cooked books and did not give the money that was owed to other owners around the league. Guys, this if, if this gets proven, this isn't a, oh, we're going to take some draft picks away from you. We're going to fine you. No, this is other owners saying, you took money out of our pockets. This doesn't impact play. Well, this doesn't really impact players. Although I say that, when you factor in the salary cap and how it's based off of league revenue, it does a little bit. But ticket sales are the only part of, of local revenues that have to be shared with other NFL owners. These allegations suggest that Dan Snyder impacted the other owners' pocketbooks in a deceiving way. Now, these are just shared with owners. They're not public. The only ones we know about are the Packers because they're a publicly owned team. They took in 77 mil in ticket sales in 2019. Whew. And according to front office sports, the oversight committee staffers received more information beyond just first person testimony for all the Washington fans out there that have just been begging for someone to come along and force Dan Snyder out. Despite all the, disturbing scandals that have been, you know, come out about him in the past. 
this is the first one that I look at and say, wow, this might actually do it. He might be done. Have a great Monday, everybody. The Dan Patrick Show is next. I'm Scott Prather. This is ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. Move me.